I want you to join with me as we look at the epistle of James. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that, open it up. If not, we've got Bibles out that uh, are right uh, in front of you should be. And um, go, to, go to James. James is short. It's five, five chapters. And what we've done and what the lectionary reading uh, actually has for us are five readings from James. Uh, and so currently we're on chapter four, really, but according to lectionary, we're actually using a part of chapter three. Now, Pastor Bruce brought a message last week about the tongue, which James hammered in pretty hard, didn't he? If you've ever read James, like that's a, yeah, I mean, that's it's a big deal. James is kind of continuing this week in our reading, uh, starting with verse 13 is where we're going to be and move into chapter four. Uh, remember that James is a, a gen, what we call a general epistle because he uh, finds himself not, uh, not as one of the Pauline epistles written by Paul, but rather after Hebrews, right? And so there's multiple authors of the general epistles, and they're two general people. That's why we call them that. They have general authors, and they're the general people. And so this one, however, this little epistle is quite a fiery one. If you've ever read it, James, he's not, he's not holding back, it doesn't seem. And he sounds very preachy. You notice that? There's not a lot of high, beautiful doctrine as much as taking that high, beautiful doctrine and bringing it down to where we actually live. Bringing it into our living rooms, as it were, or into our office spaces at work, or even better yet, all the way down to the heart level. What is in your heart and James has a lot to say. He's not lacking in sermons, but he is uh, concise. And so let's read here the word of God according to James uh, chapter 3. And we're going to pick up here at 13. Um, and actually, I'm going to read it. You can follow along there in the ESV, but I'm going to read it from the, uh, what's, uh, what is it, NRSV. Here's what the word of God says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly. Notice this unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is, notice this list, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Peacemakers, right? Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. Beatitudes. Those conflicts and disputes among you, notice him now, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it. So you commit murder. 
and you covet something and cannot obtain it. So you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourselves, this is verse 7 and 8, as the um, 7 and, and the beginning of 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You know what the purpose of preaching is? It's not just teaching. And I do both, right? I teach and I preach in my life. And so here's the difference in preaching. Preaching is aimed at encountering Christ. It's not just a transfer of information. It's meant to help us enter into the ways of Christ Jesus. It's meant to help us know Jesus Christ. Bump into him, as it were. Come into contact with him. And so, with that in mind, let's pray and ask the Lord for that to happen, all right? Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray now that you would bump into us by the preaching of your word. Paul says about the foolishness of preaching, that's how the gospel goes forward. That's how people are encountering you. And so, Lord, do that here in this place. By your grace, we pray in your most holy name. Amen. You know, one of James's big concerns is that we're not a hypocrite. And I, think, I mean, generally, that should all be a big concern of ours, right? Like nobody wants to be... I don't, I don't know of anybody that aspires to be a hypocrite. Like not irreligious people, right? Even people that would not believe in God still don't want... And in fact, when, I'm, when I talk to them often, this is one of the things I challenge them on, let's put it that way, is I say, now, you're saying that you don't believe in God, that there is no such thing as an objective morality, but the question becomes this, do you actually live like that? Do you really live like there's nothing else but us, and we just make up our own world, and we do whatever we want, and maybe killing is bad for you, but it's really good for me. Maybe lying is good for you and it's bad for me. Or maybe cheating is good for me and bad for you. But it's all relative. Nobody really has a center. There's no base. There's no rock. There's nothing it's based on. It's just whimsical. And I ask, I say, do you really act like that in your life? Because here's the problem. If you say you believe these things, but then you don't act like it, that's, that's actually the definition, isn't it, of a hypocrite? Now, now, I'll typically tell them, I say, I'm glad you're not living out like that, you know, because even me getting into an argument could be really precarious, you know. <laughs> but hopefully we have an understanding. Hopefully there's a bit of humanity and an understanding that, hey, you know, we're actually trying to discuss something here. Not, not kill each other, right? Well, a hypocrite is an actor. We've said this. A hypocrite is putting on a mask. And, of course, we've all been caught doing this, all right? Every one of us, fellow sinners, <laughs> we all have been caught masking up 
not, not because of the pandemic, but rather because of what is in us. Am I right? We see something in us, we want to cover it up. Didn't our first parents do the same thing? It's our knee-jerk reaction to sin in our life is to simply cover it up. It'll get better if we just don't look at it. Maybe we can just forget this. And we hope others can too, right? The problem becomes this, and I mentioned it a second ago. Christianity is a confessional faith, (laughs) which means you have to say it with your mouth. Now, we don't want to go into the word of faith movement, okay, which is a whole theology based on speaking things into existence. But I'll tell you this. When you do speak things, they come to life. They grow in one way or another, right? I mean, if you, didn't, if you don't know about that, just listen to last week's sermon, which I still need to actually listen to, so my week was super busy. But I know what Bruce preached on, and that was the tongue and how it is a flaming fire that can spread just like a match to a forest. And people say, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words will kill you. Words are killing. And we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen. That's difficult for us. Most of the time we're hypocritical. Most of the time we're acting. And most of the time we're unwilling to confess our sin. Well, that's a big concern for James. And that's why he's bringing the heat here. He's got another big one, okay? If the tongue's not enough for you, he's not even let go of chapter 3 yet. And now he brings in two things here, which is bitter envy and selfish ambition. All right? In some sense, these are going the opposite way. Bitter envy happens in us and brings us down. Whereas selfish ambition is us stepping on others to bring ourselves up. So, so in some sense, one is going one way and the other is going the other way. But they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing and they both come from the cardinal sin of envy. Being envious. You know, there are... Um, Seven deadly sins you've heard, right? Which is not like, it's not in the Bible in that way. But the, but the church over the years has come up and said, you know what? There's seven sins that seem to be the fountainhead of all other sins. In other words, these are the capital ones. They're the ones that if you pop the top on that one, there's going to be all sorts of things coming into your life. That are bleeding out onto everyone else and infecting everything else in your life, in fact. Uh, you remember these deadly sins, right? If you don't, just lust, which is the Greek term pornea, which is where we get the term for porn. It's lust that Jesus even brings out, remember, in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, the, the law says don't commit adultery, but I say... If you look upon a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery in where? Your heart. 
What is Jesus doing? He's taking the law and not getting rid of it. Yeah, we don't need this anymore because we have the Spirit and we have justification and salvation. (laughs) No, no. He says when the Spirit comes in, the Spirit pushes things further than the physical. Adultery is something outward, right? It's something that you actually end up doing. And it's an outward act. Whereas lust is inward. You might not be able to see it in someone else. But it's in the heart. And Jesus says, when I look at your heart and I see that, you've already done it. You've already done it. Uh, Gluttony, excess. All these hurt, by the way. (laughs) If we're honest with ourselves, all these hurt. Um, Greed. Scripture calls it, we're, we're avarice. Greediness. Slothfulness. Right? This is this term acedia, which is a general eh, concerning things. Concerning the things of God. Concerning other people's problems. Eh, there's so much in the world. Eh. I see that a lot, by the way. Wrath. Envy. And pride. Of course, pride's the seventh one because it's the cardinal one. It is the primary sin. It's the sin of sins. It's the sin from which all sins originate ultimately. Hubris. And for us Christians, we, here's what we do, we put Christ at the center. Not these things. And we must. Christ must be our center, not these things. Not these fountainheads, not these capital sins. James here uses an example. So what he ends up doing here in in our passage is he begins with this. There's false wisdom and there's true wisdom. There's earthly, earthbound wisdom, which is just the wisdom of men and women. And then there's heavenly wisdom. There's wisdom that comes from above. And it comes down. And it is from God. And so he says, but let's not be hypothetical... Let's not keep it up here. Instead, let's ground it in something. And he chooses envy. Bitter envy. Notice that it's bitter. Um, (laughs) Notice, uh, well, let me share with you uh, Aquinas's, Thomas Aquinas, his definition of of envy. This, This hurts, by the way. Irrational anger at the success of others. You ever felt that before? You ever looked at somebody else's family and said, man, I wish I had relationships like that. If only I had a dad like that or a mom like this or a brother or sister like that, I could succeed too. That is the voice of envy. Um, It's this idea right here. I heard this guy say this. He goes, when a friend succeeds... Something in me dies. You ever felt that? Even with people you like, you're like, man. Makes us want to succeed in that exact same way. And that's the problem. We're not that person. That's not our family. Remember Cain and Abel? This sin's as old as the hills, isn't it? 
Cain and Abel going all the way back. Why does Cain kill Abel? You remember what God says to him, right? He's like, look, you don't have to do this. Do you remember this? He actually comes to, comes to Cain and he says, why are you so upset? Has anybody ever asked you that? Why are you so upset about this? If you're anything like me, it happens all the time, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. Fortunately, I have a wife that helps me. Truly, I mean that. And, uh, and I also, this is the unfortunate part, I also have kids that help me. I don't mind Jessica helping me. Like, I get that. She, like, that's kind of our job for each other is to help one another, right? I mean, we're, we're one. <laughs> but when my kids get involved, that just gets annoying, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know I help create you, right? I brought you into this world, and now you're going to tell me how I need to be acting? No, that's not the way this works. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, personal illustration here, if I may. My driving. Mm, I said it. See, it's a confessional faith, right? It takes a little bit to get it out. My driving. Really, it's not my driving, if you want to get technical. It's the driving of others that sends me into another world. And now I sound like our first parents, don't I? Blaming one another. (laughs) This is getting way too personal right now. But it is an illustration in confession. And so, you know, it's like, Daddy, why do you get so mad every time that we're in the car? And by every time, they, do, they mean every time. And so it's one of those things, once they say it, you start noticing it. Does that mean, you know what I'm talking about? I forget what they call that in soccer. It's actually called something. You start seeing it everywhere. And so I'm like, okay, is this really going on, right? And so yesterday, had my time with the Lord in the morning. Felt like the Lord spoke to me. Like got up early, all the, even though it was a Saturday and took the boys all the way down to the hills of like who knows where down there near Coleman somewhere out in Eva. Um, And on the way over there, somebody pulls out in front of me, almost kills us. You know what I mean? It's my life that's involved in my children's lives, right? Isn't that worth getting mad about? So says the justification in my head. But what my kids see is an angry dad. That's not what I want them to see. Now, look, I, I, I've told Jessica I feel like I should be a professional instructor of driving. Because <laughs> literally every time I get in my car, I help other people drive, but they just don't hear it. <laughs> or obey it. But the Lord's saying to me, uh, and this, this is a hard lesson, and now obviously all of you can help keep me accountable for this, unfortunately. He wants to change my heart on that matter. And that might not be a big thing to you. <laughs> um, but I know what I felt for people. I know how quickly I've dismissed them just because they pulled out in front of me. 
And this is really what Jesus talks about, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, which James is pulling from, by the way. He says, you know what, guys? The law says, <laughs> don't commit murder. Again, an outward act, right? And most of us are like, man, if it really came down to it, none of us are going to jump out of the car and actually kill somebody because of road rage, right? I mean, I wouldn't, really. And so we say, we dismiss, yeah, okay, cool. But Jesus says, but I say. Now, teaching point real quick. Only Jesus can say that about the law. In other words, what he's saying is, the Old Testament says, don't murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Now, that's a big deal. He takes the Ten Commandments, he says, here's what the Ten Commandments says, but I say. What is he doing? He's asserting his God authority. And saying, but I say, even if you call your brother Raka, then you're liable to hell. And I had to go back and reread it. Hell? They say, what is Raka? Somebody that's empty headed. Let me put it in our terminology idiot. In your heart, if you said it, you've already murdered. What does he mean? What, what, how, how's this, what, are you, what are you talking about? You've already committed adultery. You didn't even do the act. My goodness, isn't it hard enough not to do the act? Jesus says, yeah, but guess what? The act, the fruit, comes from a root in our heart. I want to pull that out. I want to be your rock. Abide in me and I in you. And then you will produce what? Good fruit. But if you just let yourself go hog wild, even in your heart. I mean, we can all look across the room and say, well, obviously you hadn't murdered because you're not in prison. You haven't done this because you're still married. You haven't done. But what's happened in your heart? Now, here's the crazy, I can't see that. You can't see what's in here, which is why we're told not to judge. We're not, the, we're not the judge, and thanks be to God we're not. Goodness gracious. I'd have been wrong more in my life than right for sure. No, don't, don't do that. He said, I am the judge, but I see your heart. Raka means worthless. They're utterly worthless. Not worth my time. Could care less. In a real way, to hell with them. In other words, that's, the, that's really the idea of the word is you could care less about them as, a, as an image bearer. As someone created an image of God, could care less. You, in your head, in your heart, you've damned them to destruction dismissed them. Now, I mean political parties. I mean people that you don't like at work. I mean enemies, friends. What does Jesus tell us we should do to our enemies? Do you remember? Forgive them and do good to them. Do good to those who despise you. If I'm not stepping on somebody's toes with that, I don't know if you got feet. 
Well, if bitter envy isn't enough, what about selfish ambition? It's a, here's the definition I, I went with. It's from Augustine, um, St. Augustine. He says, a heart curved in on itself. That's the human problem. Heart curved in on itself. It's self-interest. And look, this is something that helps me always in remembering sin. What is sin? I at the center of sin. It's putting me first. Not God. Not others. Self-interest. And from these two, um, really what I'm boiling down is just one here, envy, comes all sorts of nasty in our life. And I've shared one from my life. What about for you? Have you become bitter? Look, I listen. <laughs> I hear all the justifications. I, I, I'm a well aware. Like, I know all the excuses. People mistreat you, so you're not going to get into relationships anymore. People use your love, so you're not doing that again. And you become prickly. You don't let people in. You don't let them near you. Like I, for once in my life, I can actually identify with that. I get it. And it's, not, I mean, it's a, it's a psychological toll. It's an emotional roller coaster. And I'm not even an emotional dude, you know? But I've become one when people hurt me. And yet, Jesus doesn't close up shop, does he? When people mistreat him, betray him, leave him, abandon him, crucify him? No, he opens his arms. And from the cross, he says, Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. That's the kind of love he wants to share with us. That's the kind of whole person he wants to make us. He doesn't want us unhappy, always longing for the lives of others. No. No, he's given you your life. He's given you those kids, that husband or wife. He's given you this church. <laughs> He's given you that amount of money. Like, that's his doing. That's his gift to you. And many of us have said, oh, no, th thanks a lot. I want that. I want that. It's not good enough. We're not content. We need to rest in the Father. He knows what is best for us. We have to trust that. But that's not something easy to do, is it, friend? It's not easy. And it can really only be done by the power of the Spirit. We have to have a heart change. You see, it's not enough just to, oh, yeah, I guess I need to stop doing this and replace it with that and, and I, 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 I. No. Like, I'm crying out that God change my heart. Like, give me new eyes. Unstop my ears. It takes a work of God. And that's why in preaching, it's not just about learning Right? It's not just about understanding something. It's about encountering Christ. You see, because he alone can change the human heart. It's deceitful above all things. It deceives even us. 
That's why James' whole point is like, be whole, be perfect. That's what, that's what God has created you for. It's what he's trying to do in your life. Which means, dear friends, that when somebody pulls out in front of you, it's actually an opportunity to trust him. That's tough to remember. And that's why it's got to be a heart change. He wants our knee-jerk reaction to be him, to relying on him, to trust and put our faith in God. You know, <laughs> what if somebody decides to mistreat you this week at work and you just took it upon yourself? Thank you for that. I really appreciate this opportunity to be able to trust God and not my own anger, to not drink this bitter poison that really poisons me over here while you just keep living your life. I would just say, if, you're, if you are anywhere in the vicinity of where I live right now, um, Psalm 73 is your friend. I'm not going to preach it now, uh, but... It's it. God knows who we are. He knows where we live. He knows how we live. And he is welcoming us into his family. Even knowing who we are. That's all. You know, we, we say like, life is not fair, right? Like, the, look at how the wicked, they prosper. They have it easy, right? And yet the righteous, we're the ones that's trudging through and Squeezing this and trying to do that. No, thank God life isn't fair. Because if life were fair, Pastor Marshall would be going to hell. I don't deserve anything good in my life. Which brings us to the good news. All right. By the way, James has seven, or I'm sorry, eight virtues that he mentions here. Purity, peacemaking, being considerate, submissive, uh, full of mercy, having good fruit, true religion, being impartial and sincere or genuine. He lists out eight virtues to these two bad vices of bitter envy and selfish ambition. Then I want to just shift gears to where I think James kind of has in mind here and what our gospel reading was. Do you remember what it said? <laughs> Here's Jesus in Mark 9, right? And we were kind of walking through Mark uh, a little, a few weeks ago in Mark 8. And here's Jesus. They just had the transfiguration and all, right? And they come off the mountain. They're, they're hanging out with the disciples. Jesus walking along the way. I mean, we were there just a little second ago. He's on his way to Capernaum. And he's like, guys, the Son of Man, I have to go to Jerusalem, suffer, die, and then I'm going to resurrect. Now this is, he says this to them three times total. So he's working this out. I think this is the second time he says it. And what are they doing? He hears them talking. So then what it, he asks them, he says, what were you guys talking about? And they're silent. Why? Because what were they talking about? Do you remember? Who's the greatest? Here's Jesus telling them that, he, that God in the flesh has to suffer and die. And they're, 
man, I wonder when he enters into the kingdom, like, am I going to be sitting at his right hand? Maybe, John, you could be on his left. I could be on his right. Like, how cool would that be? What does Jesus do? He takes a little child. It says that he sits down, which is a teaching mode for a rabbi. He sits down. He takes a little child and says, come here. He's holding this little child and he says, this. This is how you enter the kingdom of God. This is the kind of faith you should have. A little kid, Jesus, what do you mean? And by the way, children in the, in the first century world, like, you know, a lot of people orient their lives around their kids, right? You know, like we're, we make a big to-do about children. Number one, that's not how it is in most of the world. There still are some cultures that do not do that, such as Afghanistan, for instance. Uh, Craig Grabowski told me one time that there was a ministry that went over there and they handed out um, uh, baby food. You know, they handed about baby food. All these little villages in Afghanistan, this was years ago. And, um, and when they came back through after handing it all out, they said, hey, how's, like, are the babies being fed? How's things going? You know, they said, oh, no, we didn't give it to the babies. We gave it to the old people. So the old people, what, why do they need it? The babies are the ones that need the food. I said, no, 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 we can always get more babies. We can't always get more old people. Different way of thinking, isn't it? I think we've actually, in America, just real quick sidebar, denigrated old people, devalued them, and lifted up children to a point of godlike status. They run the uh, they run the house, they rule the roost. I don't think it's biblical, friend. All life is important to God. Can I say that again? All life is important to God. What's the point I'm trying to make? In the first century is this. Children were the lowest of the low. In the Roman world, Greco-Roman world, children were the lowest of the low. I mean, shoot, even in America at one point, right? Children went to work every day. Children. Ten-year-olds. It was nothing to see them going to work. Now, I'm not advocating that. I think we've got a better situation now. For sure. My point is, Jesus brings in a little kid who had the lowest of the low status. What are they going to do? Change the world. A little kid. I'm not talking about a bigger one. And go to school. Yeah, I'm talking about a little baby. Maybe just think of a little toddler. Jesus says, this is where it's at. This is how you want to enter the faith. Jesus, they don't even know anything. What are you talking about? They don't even understand this or that. Like we, all, we give all these things. Children were at the very bottom. And you know what? They don't even know it. You ever notice that about kids? <laughs> that kid doesn't know if he's wearing something good or not, you know? You're like, oh, man, you know? But he doesn't even know. I think Jesus is saying, that's how we should be, right? Not worried about our status. Not worried about our position or what people call us. Multiple times in my life I've said, Mr. So-and-so, no, it's doctor. Okay, well, thank you for that. Like, I get that. I understand that. But what's the point of it? 
really. No, we should be like children, Jesus says. They don't even, they don't know if they're rich or poor. I mean, you, you, you probably grew up, you know, I don't know if you had anything like me, whether you were in a big house or a small one, and we were in a small house. Now I look back, I'm like, man, I don't know how in the world we didn't think it was cramp. We didn't know any different. We didn't know any different. Kids don't care. They just adapt to what's around them. Unfortunately, we adults have gotten too smart for our own good, haven't we? And as our houses statistically have gotten bigger in America, our homes have gotten smaller and more divided. We're being separated from each other, which in fact, James says is demonic. The term demonic means divided. You look up demon, it's divided. That's what a demon does is divide things. No, no, we... (laughs) We need to be like a little child... Because children get told what to do. I mean, I tell my kids what to do all the time, right, buddy? It's like, thank the Lord now I have somebody I can take out the garbage. I mean, that is just, it's so wonderful. All I got to do is just say, hey, Google, send me a kid, you know, and somebody comes down, I'm like, all right. You're up. Take the garbage. Because why? Because my father made me take out the garbage while he sat on the couch. (laughs) That's just what we do in the Dag family. So you don't want to be a part of our family? Well, okay, but if you are going to be a part, you're going to take out the garbage. You're going to do what you're told. And you know, isn't that the point Jesus is making to them? They're not receiving from it. They're trying to angle for power in their discussion of who's going to be first. He says, no, you should be like a kid. You should be last, actually. Last. And you should do what you're told. In other words, if you love me, Jesus says, obey my commandments. Do you hear that? It's not, if you love me, then just feel mushy about me. Like, get those chill bumps, you know, hair raised up. Woo! No. Do what I say, then. That's how you prove you love me. Do what I say. And when you find yourself unable to do that, guess what? You go to God in repentance. And you go to God and ask for more of his spirit in your life. Like, God, help me to love these people that can't drive. Or love these people that treat me wrong. Or love these people that have broken my heart. Like, I'm all torn up inside. God, I need you to put me back together. I don't want to be divided. You see? We go to him. That's why James says in our text, he says, you don't have because what? You don't ask. You ever notice how kids would just ask for anything? You know what I'm talking about? They don't care. They could care less about formalities, you know? Funny story, we were talking to a couple um, that we know at a pizza place we were at, and the lady said concerning our trip out west, she said, oh, I'm so jealous of that trip. And uh, little Blakely tapped Jessica on the leg and said, jealousy's a sin, mama. Jealousy's a sin. And Jessica was trying to ignore her, you know, like, like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. So, you know, like pushing her back. <laughs> it's like, no, but she, jealousy's a sin, mama. Miss Weldy told me. What if we had faith like that? You come tell me something, I'm going to interrogate that thing to death. 
I am. I just, the first question about, how do you know that? Where'd you get it from? Where's the sources? Like, I want a paper. But kids, no. Miss Weldy told her it was, it was sin to be jealous. That lady said, I'm jealous of your trip. Blakely called it out. That's a sin. <laughs> and we had to tell her, you know, well, this nuanced, maybe. I mean, like, uh, a little more to that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, we ought to say what we want to say to God. To God. Don't hold back. If you, if you feel like there's doubt in your heart, tell him. Doesn't he already know? But speak it, Lord, I'm really struggling right now. Like, I actually, I I don't know that I believe that. I need help. You remember the guy that came to Jesus? He he said, I have faith, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Man, let's be honest. Let's just ask. He says to ask, we're going to ask. But he also says, James says, but the reason you don't receive is because you ask selfishly. You just want it for yourself. Which is, people always say, well, if I can ask God for whatever, then I'm going to ask him for a nice car. Why doesn't he give me that? Ha, 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 ha. It's like, because he's a good father. That's why. You know, my kids asked me, hey, Dad, I saw this show. They were shooting it up with AR-15. Can I have one of those? It's like, no. Well, aren't you a good father and give me whatever I want? No, no. And the Bible never says God's going to give you whatever you want. Uh-uh. But he does say ask. Then he teaches us after that, right? It's like, no, you don't need this, Marshall, because if I give you this, you're going to think you did it. No. I'm going to cut it back. I'm going to cut you back. Cut the fat off. Dial it back. That way you know if it happens, it's me, not you. Not your power, not your wisdom. No, we're not looking for earthly wisdom, right? Looking for heavenly wisdom. I, want, I need a word from God, friends, in my life. Like, that's what's going to carry me through the next 10 years, is a word from God. Not a word hyping myself up or a word from people. No, I need a word from God. Well, and then lastly, is, here's, here's the kids thing, last kids thing, is children... Remember, Jesus has got this kid in front of him. Children get lost in play. You know what I'm talking about? They just, they start playing and nothing else matters. How many of us have gotten so old spiritually that we come even, even to a place like this to worship the living God and it's just humdrum? It's just, I guess we got to go again. That doesn't sound like play, does it? No, I think the Lord wants us in all of our life, whether we're going through a tough time or not, to be at play. And what I mean by that is to trust him enough that no matter what, we think he's got it. You know, when my kids are playing, I might be worried about finances. I might be worried about this, or I might be worried about my truck, which has just kind of been the typical thing this year. But you know what? They don't care. I've noticed that even at funerals, kids play. And it's not that they don't know it's a sad time. But it's that they're not worried about it. The worries of life can overflood us 
And if we think we are the ones in charge and have to figure it all out, then yeah, we're not going to be able to play. I think he wants to bring back a spirit of play in our worship, in our devotions, where we trust him like a little kid. That little kid's just standing there. All these adult men are saying, what do you mean a kid, Jesus? Yeah. If you can't enter the kingdom of God with faith like a child, you'll never enter it. You'll never enter it. So, friends, today, are you eaten up with envy? Has it made you bitter? It can happen quick. It can happen at different points in our life. Have you lived your life selfishly? Ambition, getting the best of you, your family, the church? If so, you're not alone. You're not alone today. There's a lot of fellow sinners in here. But it doesn't just mean, oh, I'm bad, you're bad, so let's all go home with that. No, 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 no. He's a good father. He's going to correct us. He's going to discipline us. He will test us because he loves us. And that's why we need to be gracious to one another. That's why I need to be gracious to others. God's working on everybody. Everybody. And we all need him. So, let's not be in the vice grip of sin. Let's be, as we sang the song a little minute ago, chains broken. We're free. We're free to play. Even if everything's not right in the world, we trust our Father. Because here's the thing, when our heart is right, the world will be right. If our heart's not right, it doesn't matter how right things are on the outside. Nothing makes sense anymore. Don't live with a darkened heart. He can, he can shine his light today if we will confess our sins. If, as James says, you will submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he's got to go. And in what? Draw near to God. And what? He draws near to you. So let's draw near to him as we respond to this word as we've encountered Christ in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.